Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio and Greenwashed. And what is a first for the Greenwashed show? We've got a panel uh, ready for you today. So we're having an election uh, post-match analysis. And who do we have on our panel? Well, we have a whole bunch of former Fed farmers head, um, well, presidents, really. That's what they were called, and including me. So there's four of us on this show today, um, including Jaspreet as well, of course. So remember to give your feedback after the show um, to um, realitycheck.radio or at 2057 via text. So uh, who do we have on our show today? Well, we have Owen Jennings, who was the president of Fed Farmers from 1990 to 1993. He's a, he was farming on the West Coast in those days in Karamea, and it's a lovely temperate climate there, I'm sure. He was also an Act MP from 1990. Uh, six to 2002, and uh, he still kept his hand in uh, being a farmer advocate all these years and is now chairman or spokesman, I think chairman, of the Methane Science Accord. So welcome, Owen. We have Charlie, Petter- Charlie Peterson, who was president of uh, Fed Farmers 2005-2008, was the dairy rep for years uh, on Feds, and uh, now is um, continuing his role as, as investments in dairying and um chicken meat raising and property development in and around Foxton. So welcome, Charlie. G'day, everybody. And of course, last but not least is Katie Milne, who's also from the West Coast, um, uh, Chairman of Feds, President of Feds from 2017 to 2020, uh, also just retired VP of the World Farmers Organization. So great to have you all on and um, welcome, Katie. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, and of course, um, last night there was a bit of, uh, well, Saturday night, sorry, there was a, um, a, a an election of Andrew Hoggard, uh, another president of Fed Farmers, into Parliament. So we should wish him all the best. He's got a, a tough job to to do there. And of course, we think of Mark Cameron, who's also with him, who's been a very good um, advocate for farming the last three years. So yeah, we've got a got a couple of colleagues and mates that are in the parliament today but what's your what's your um prognosis of uh what's happened so far katie what's what do you reckon the, the upshot uh, is after saturday i just wanted to add that of course miles anderson as well uh who ah. was on the feds board um has has come through and been elected as well in the waitiki area so just throw uh, that one in there yeah no good work because feds does have a lot of uh, proud history of having um uh office holders getting into into sort of prime roles in parliament but yeah things the deck chairs have been cleaned out changed what's uh what's your feeling of saturday night's uh, uh results and what do you think's happening monday morning as we record this what's it what's it like what's the what's the landscape looking like to you katie well it's uh it's very interesting isn't it it's it's good to see that um if you like, in a way, rural New Zealand got its voice back, and hopefully we've had a we've had a swing back to um, putting things into uh, into the hands of people who are, should be more uh, small to medium business focused, and be able to set up the platforms we need to to go forward. And of course, those um, policy platforms that that uh, uh, Act and National and, and others spoke about this time, and and New Zealand First was about the provinces a lot and what it needs to go forward 
and and cutting out a lot of the red tape that was holding us back and pushing us under, quite frankly. And it couldn't have been timed better in the fact that, you know, we saw the report last week, last week from beef and lamb about a 30% drop expected, you know, for sheep and beef and, and all those um, issues economically that are coming at us. So this should hopefully turn a bit of confidence back for us uh, into the into the regions to, to help, you know, give people that. But, um, yeah, that there is some hope in the future and some of the, the policies that were too tough to implement at the pace they were being pushed will be rolled or fixed so that they can be ones that work for us. So so how quick do you think that that could happen? Because effectively um, today the deck chairs might have been changed a little bit, but the bureaucracy in central and local government is still there. They'll be having, they'll certainly be having morning tea with a whole lot different perspective, I accept. But um, uh, that, that the regulations are still there today. They haven't been stopped. Uh, for instance, fresh water plans, uh, methane taxing, all that stuff is still on the agenda. So how yeah, and do you that think is that always the brakes can be put on? Well, that is always the, the $64 million question, isn't it, is how fast can the modifi- modifications needed be implemented? And I know that, um, you know, some of the first 100-day stuff that were promised was to, to uh, fix some of that. Um, so hopefully, and, and I mean, for my own thinking on it for a long time now and having seen, been through some of these things that were rolling through in my time, the freshwater policy stuff, there was one draft that was very livable, uh, 2019 draft of that, um, that was, you know, came back to if getting rid of all the complications of, of, of uh, slope and, and fencing, etc., and uh, it moved it more to if you were intense versus extensive. So the old 14 stock units per hectare sort of thing, uh, you could have a management plan around what you do around waterways versus have to have the, the staunchness. So those little things like that, that that's that still wasn't locked in place, you know, um, still lots of discussion around they had the slope wrong, so many things wrong with that policy. That would be a quick switch they could do that would help farmers immensely. So so just saying that, and I'll go to you, Charlie, uh, what's your your view on that. I mean, I've got a view that we've got a bad habit of dignifying an idea that's been thought up in the halls of power somewhere or by our own um, co-ops presenting a case that you need to do this to meet the international marketplace. Um, So, so, you know, policy that's sitting there, uh, why would we want to even dignify it more today? Why wouldn't we want to just say, no, we're not going to have that anymore? Is there a big risk in saying, no, because I, you know, we were trying to get Wayne Langford onto this show as well, the incumbent president of Feds, and he was sort of saying, uh, we need to be, uh, we're going to get there. It's just a matter of give us time. What is it that we're trying to get to, and why wouldn't we just put the brakes on everything? Yeah, uh, th- thanks for that um, kind of uh, giving me that question. Um, yeah. <laughs> I suspect you asked me that question because you already know my um, feelings on this. So. Um, Starting off with uh, Saturday's election, um, it's born born about some truisms that we've come to know in the way that our uh, MMP system works. Uh, so it's still a reasonably close-run thing, uh, even though there was a massive swing from red to blue, uh, it's still reasonably um, tied up, um, closely tied up, when you, when you look at left versus right. Um, if we look at the way that farmers are represented, I think we've made some <clears throat> mistakes that we've wandered into over the years where we've got multiple groups 
um, representing, purporting to represent farmers. And so you have the um, the organisations like um, uh, uh, Fonterra, for instance, I'll use that as an example, um, and other processes who have no business, in my opinion, purporting to represent farmers at all. And then we have the farmer levy bodies um, who also purport to represent farmers, and I think they they need to be, my own opinion is that way outside their natural um, mandate. Um, the levy is for, um, in my opinion, uh, more for uh, research and development type activity, maybe trade stuff. But as far as representing farmers inside the farm gate and what they do on their farms, I think they should be um, they should be reined in on that. And but we've got that going on at the moment. And then we've got the farmer um, levy. Uh, sorry, um, um, uh, groups, creative farmers, groundswell, whatever you want to, um, that politically represent farmers um, behind the farm gate. Um, well, that was how I understand it was really all supposed to work. So, in my opinion, so that, I think that that's that muddies the landscape um, a lot and means that we've got different voices. We've got a bunch of people who have their eye on the future in all of those organisations. They don't want to. They don't want to ever stand up for anything because they're thinking about where their next little earner is coming from, and so um, they uh, they just play the kind of um, moderate middle man game and don't put their heads up too far. And um, uh, and that's that's really most common. The the the, the the farmer representatives are few and far between who hop in to do a job um, as asked by their farmer so, and then uh, pop out again. So I, I don't think yeah. – my, my opinion is after this election that happened on Saturday, um, nothing much has changed, um, and I just need to get this in. You know, I, I have heard the National Party referred to as Labour light, and I honestly believe that's what they are, and um, the – right-wing party that might have had a bit of pressure on them isn't really big enough in that um, government makeup uh, to to uh, change many of the things that farmers fundamentally need to have changed so that we can operate in a, in a, a more um, profitable way. Right. Now, leading on from that, uh, that one, Charlie, I think I'll address this one to you, Owen. I am myself surprised at the way the dice have fallen. One would have expected that after six years of what I can as best describe as shambles, the drubbing would have been, you know, far greater and the blues should have been much stronger. What do you think of the numbers, the way they've played out? Well, I think one of the uh, groups that um, lost badly last night was the mainstream media. Um, you know, having waged a massive war against Luxon personally, against National Party and against ACT, uh, they got a kick in the slats last night, really good and proper. I mean, if you'd watched TV1 or TV3 last night, you'd have seen that about 80% of the time was focused on uh, the Maori Party and the Greens and, and ACT and National got about 20% of the coverage. You would have thought it was the Maori Party winning by country miles. So I guess the first point is that, um, you know, agriculture, but but progressive New Zealand, if you like, or, or that's a dirty word nowadays, but uh, uh, industry, uh, the part of the economy that we need to flourish, 
uh, uh, suffered badly. You know, I didn't hear the word productivity last night anywhere. I didn't hear agriculture. I didn't hear tourism. I didn't hear any of those things. And one of the things that concerns me is over the last three years particularly, but over the last six years, the the um, administration, the bureaucracy in New Zealand has had a heyday. Uh, weak leadership, weak ministers, incompetent people who had no idea what they were doing except putting out press releases and making vague promises. Uh, you know, it, it's going to take a huge turnaround. And, and my, my question, uh, you know, is do we have the incoming ministers who've got the fortitude, the ability, the strength to actually push back on a bureaucracy, um, departmental bureaucracy that's been in control over the last six years? That, 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 I think that's a, a, a major question. Yeah. Uh, and and in a in a in a when you have to stitch together a coalition government and maybe it's going to be three not two who knows uh, that gets that much harder. So in terms of what farming needs in in the next little while, I think the big issue is will farming get up and take the initiative on day one? I'm sorry Wayne's not here because I'd like to have said to him. Instead of going out and dagging lambs or whatever it's doing today, he should have been up on his soapbox and going for it, hammer and tongs. Because unless farming takes the initiative, unless we move concertedly, uh, together, um, pointedly, uh, with a lot of strength and a lot of focus, we'll, we'll get left behind again. We're a minority. We've got to fight and fight Pardon. hard to make progress. Yeah, and on that basis, I I actually think uh, as as the numbers rolled in on Saturday night and le even today, uh, I, it is really tenuous. There's not enough strength there. One thing I've not understood, Owen, and you've you understand the MMP far better than I ever will. Um, I'm I'm not saying I'm disinterested, but I if you've got a convoluted system, it makes it. Um, that's hard to follow then it's going to be hard to follow for everybody and that's why mmp perhaps hasn't delivered for a for our sector i don't know um, but why did the national party put such an intense list out with 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 participants in it or, you know candidates in it that were shoe-ins why did they put them up in their um uh, in their high echelons why did they the day go after the two tick vote and they they've effectively because what what i don't get is at the moment, they've got five MPs off their list, where they had thirty-eight percent of the party vote. Makes I, no I sense hear to that me. Forty percent of New Zealanders who don't understand MMP. I think most of those forty percent are in the top echelons of some of our political parties. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably more like more like sixty or eighty percent who don't understand it. I think the other thing that's missing in the discussion last night and this morning is the wasted vote. Um, I haven't seen the final numbers from the smaller parties, but that 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 vote gets divided up between the winning uh, parties. So I suspect that that's going to help um, National Act get up a bit more, despite the fact that they were gradually losing ground late last night. Mm -hmm. So what's your thoughts about, um, just onto that, I know, Charlie, you've got a view on this, uh, the Port Waikato by-election ahead. What, what's the significance of that now? Now, I know it's it's sad that the um, ACT candidate there passed away and he was well-known. So what do you think that, 
will National Enact really push hard under this by-election to to bolster their numbers and maybe um, increase their their votes um, in a in a by-election? Will they will they really work hard there now? What's your feeling, Charlie? Um, well, since you introduced um, the idea of um, Port Waikato, I'd have, have to say that, um, you know, Neil Christensen was a poultry vet and um, uh, we produce about 150 tonnes of poultry meat a week on our operation. That's about a third of our business these days. And Neil was the best poultry vet in Australasia. So I miss him on a lot of levels. But mm. um, he, uh, but but as far as the way I see it, that it's got the, it's going to make that Port Waikato election very very interesting because um, it's going to happen in a uh, two or three weeks time. Um, it's possibly going to uh, you know Owen's just um, added a really valid um, idea, and that is that that uh, overhang wasted vote gets I don't I don't know if used the wrong term that wasted vote gets redistributed and national and and ACT will get the uh, lion's share of that. Uh, so that um, probably possibly brings in um, a, a new uh, MP, uh, but the or two, uh, and plus the election. Um, looking at the what, what Port Waikato's done in the past, I think there's very little chance that that vote is going to go black or red or green. So that's another potential um, increase in the right wing block, if you like. So I think that um, the election result may be more secure. Um, than some of us who thought the, the result was okay, feared. Um, so that's that's the way I see it. Be interesting yeah. to see how that. I've, I've been wrong before. It has happened occasionally, so um, I'm sure it's possible. <laughs> we're, we're all perfect, aren't we? The whole lot of us. We've all got we've all got history and perfection, and getting things right. Um, yeah. Hey, um, so Katie, down on the coast, uh, yeah, I shouldn't say that, over on the coast, I should say, perhaps, um, what's the what's the feeling? Um, Minister O'Connor, uh, former Minister O'Connor, will be feeling a bit bruised and battered today, but, um, you know, what 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 will be the, uh, you know, clearly he's been um, given a bit of a smacking by by you, uh, your, your voters over there. What do you think he did wrong? Um, well, what did he do wrong or who, what did the others do right? And it's interesting because we had a young independent standing as well and and he was um, very active, very good young fella. He's well known on the coast. Um, but I guess, you know, it's it's really hard to flick it to an independent. There hasn't been one in a long time. But he uh, told everyone, he just kept saying, you know, I will be a stand-up person for the coast, as, as you'd expect. But the main thing that he pushed through and drove on was the fact that Damien's number 10, Maureen's number 26, they're in anyway, so come and vote for me and we'll get another person pushing our barrow and solely our barrow mm. um, on the coast. And even though, you know, if you know the politics, how it works, he, he wouldn't, he'd only be on every six weeks or whatever, the question and question time, but uh, there would have been, um, you know, a, a lot of use there. And, of course, probably that uh, looks like it took Damien's vote because he was very clear about, um, not aligning himself to any party, so that was that was good because he, he knew he didn't want to piss off anyone and any, any colour. He wanted to just take people, you know, and and have a good crack. So I think that was um, a big part of it. But then, of course, um, we're the the area that's got a lot of um, primary industry from the mining, the fishing, and the farming, obviously. And 
we've suffered under policies from Labor. We're told they're good for us, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the, the um, no more mining on conservation land and all those things. We're sitting on a stewardship land review that's taking forever and, and sort of going off track at times. Um, so, it, you know, there's a lot of discord in, um, being felt here for uh, probably if, if the same had happened, whoever was in power, the same policies come through, there'd be, there'd be a backlash either way. But we really felt uh, on the coast, you know, not speaking for, for from myself necessarily, but as you say, what's the feeling out there? It's been a bit of a sense of betrayal. So, you know, the chickens have come home and roosted. I, I wonder, Katie, if you would have, uh, what would you think about the statement from Damien last week in the Farmers Weekly, where he says that I've reminded leave, uh, leaders of the agri uh, bodies that they need to toughen up for all the criticism they are <laughs> facing. And he's also said the world is changing rapidly. Our competitors are catching up. There's this growing pressure on livestock farming. We will need to have to move very, very quickly to ensure we provide a sustainable future. So he's telling farming yeah. uh, bodies to toughen up because he says, you know, I have faced a lot of flack and I've not wilted under the pressure. I thought it's rather rich coming from the gentleman, but your views, please. It's well, really. As as, yeah. Sorry, Katie, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that that having been on the World Farming Organization, the, the term I served there, which is nearly was about six years, five six years, um, livestock uh, farming generally is under attack, under attack all over the world. So you know, yep. it needs all the support it can get. And yeah, the, the our competitors are trying to get to where we are today. You know, I remember having a conversation with Eugenie Sage a few years ago, and she said Scotland has, has uh, Ireland it was actually was has wanting to reduce their their greenhouse gases from farming, you know, by they've set this target, uh, reduce it by 13% by 2025, I think, at that stage. And I said, well, if they can, that gets into where we are today. And going, this is going back three or four years. So I think that gap of how much ahead of everyone is, we are, gets forgotten sometimes and, and the hype gets caught up in what the police say. And um, they miss the point that we're continuing to carry on and it's efficiency and productivity that gets us there not um, cutting our throat and, and reducing our numbers. That just shifts it offshore, as we know, with emissions. But, yeah, it's uh, always an interesting conversation, that one, when they, they say we've got to keep ahead of the competitors. We know well, we, we have are. to. We're always trying. Being a, being a Minister of Labour, uh, a Minister of Agriculture and Labour is a hospital pass anyway, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like you're pushing hip, water uphill with a rake. Um and I think one of the things that, you know, in criticising uh, farming leaders, um, uh, he, he was kind of trying to shift the, the the blame, if you like, across from his own um, government and leadership to to the industry. Uh, one of the things I think that's important, and, and as past presidents, I'm sure we would have all encountered this and, and thought about it is that New Zealand's position as a as a, uh, a very efficient both environmentally and economically um, farming organization is is pretty much different to most other places in the world most most farming most agriculture heavily subsidized and and kind of is maintained by the government as a sort of a uh, a, a pet, if you like, a, you know, on a bit of a chain. Um, you know, we have to go out and fight in the world 
85% of what we produce goes into the international market. Nobody else is in that, in that category. Uh, and, and that's the basis that I think we've got to fight going forward, not just on the emissions issue, but, uh, but a number of issues. We've got to understand that, uh, we, we, we've got a different battle. We're, we're, we're subtly different to the rest of the world. Uh, and, uh, without, without trying to, um, I don't know, soft soap it, we have to stand up for the fact that we are uh, an agricultural nation reliant on agriculture for our economy. Um, we send, what, 40 million people their lunch basket every day. Um, and we have to demarcate ourselves sensibly and justifiably uh, in, in the world scene. And I don't think we've done that as smartly as we might have. Well, oh, and that's well well spoken. Um, I used to talk about we have the gold standard of of trade, uh, subsidy free farming, and you know that seemed to go, you know, that was even a considered um, almost old news. Um, don't let's not worry about that anymore. And to me, until we get back to understanding that, uh, we should stop this. Uh, it, if people understood that, I think the demonization of farming the way it's been uh, in the last ten years would uh, would stop. Katie, you have uh, you want to add a bit? Yeah, just on that, um, you know, being over at a um, the general assembly of all the farmers, and we do farm tours, and, and one of them was a meat farm, meat chickens actually, Charlie, and uh, they just built a beautiful new barn. They were going organic. If they'd had commercial chickens, it would have been thirty thousand in there. It was only eight thousand uh, because it was organic. And uh, someone piped up and said, so how big was your grant? They said 40%. This is not a loan. This was a grant to build the new system and the new shed and everything. And you're right. Um, that does get forgotten how big of an impact that is. And I think the other point that, that's sort of floating around in here is that, you know, in New Zealand strive to be better at all these things and, and get these stories out there, we need that to be done at, at, the, at the company level, those guys who are out there marketing. That's their job. Don't put it into regulation and make it a bottom line because then we give it to the market for nothing. And I see that all the time and it has frustrated me for a long time that um, that bar, yeah, you've got to have standards, but that seems to be forgotten that we take away that option to bring in true premium. We're told it'll bring a premium, but if you give it away, you freeze the market, you don't actually get it in a dollar value in the farmer's pocket. And all those dollars are new dollars to New Zealand. They're not borrowed and they're not printed. And Charlie, you'd have a you'd have a bit of a, a comment about that, I'm sure, because I know you're building more chicken sheds at the moment, raising barns at the moment, and uh, you the last thing you would ever want would be a dollar from anybody else other than your own, and you want to have control. Is that it? Have I got you right? Yeah, yes, you have got me right, and uh, that's one of the things that I've um, relished about getting involved in uh, um, with free range meat chicken farmers. Um, I've relished about getting involved in that industry, and that is. We don't have anybody representing us but us ourselves. And an example of that at the moment is that uh, we had a disease, you know, it's, 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 a, it's the fire blight story, only about chicken, um, where the Australians sent us the disease and then um, said that we should they shouldn't have to receive any chickens from us because we now had a notifiable disease in New Zealand. It was in a quarantine facility in the South Island. <coughs> and, but anyway, um, so because of a whole bunch of stuff around that, um, event uh, MPI have decided that the free rain, oh sorry, the um, meat chicken farmers of New Zealand need to um, be corralled into an MPI system 
So they've contacted us directly and said, you need to fill in all these forms and you need to send us a fee and blah, blah, blah. And um, many of us are just saying, no, thanks, we're fine. Now, if we had, you know, um, federated farmers or, or you know, um, meat chickens um, levy organisation of New Zealand representing us, MPI would corral those organisations into a room in Wellington somewhere and uh, um, that other a second organisation, whatever representative organisation it is, would uh, capitulate and um, we'd be told as farmers, oh, everyone's doing it, you have to do it. But at yeah. the moment, while we're separated out, MPI have to actually go through the pain of coming and trying, convincing each one of us. And actually, I find that really refreshing. I don't want any subsidy or any representation from anybody. I'll do it myself. And um, and we'll merrily keep producing our 100 and 50 odd tons of chicken meat a week and uh sending it to the processor um who pays me every friday and um you know um we we uh we, it's a nice tidy business without anybody else poking their nose in it at all i absolutely love it so that's uh, that that's my analogy as to how things can be different um hmm. um and you know I, I was thinking about the free trade agreements um that were that have been done uh, while I was involved and from a federated farmer's point of view and since and before too probably and really none of them have been tremendous breakthroughs for money ending up, more money ending up in farmers' pockets um, at all. Um, usually we find there's a fish hook or two in there that um, we didn't really know about and mm. um, the FTA with with Britain uh, is, um, you know, um, the the uh, folks from Fonterra are still being tight-lipped about what's actually in there and what we don't know about, but, you know, I'm not going to say, but, you know, there is some, um, I'm aware of some stuff that's yet to bite uh, New Zealand dairy farming because of that FTA that no one's talking about at the moment. Uh, and, you know, really, did it do us any, did we really benefit? Is that really such a big market for us anymore? Uh, maybe as farmers, uh, and and as mark as organ an organisation's marketing product out of New Zealand, uh, go and make our own way in the world and try and keep the government out of it might be a good idea um, rather than getting dragged in by the bureaucrats who really but, don't don't yeah, give a arm about really yeah. Completely. That's a really interesting one, if I can pop in for a second, yeah, because, sure. um, you know, everyone's on about a, a, a free trade agreement with India at the moment, and um, I was, I'm involved with Aspen New Zealand, and we ran a, uh, a seminar a while ago, a webinar, and we had, you know, people, um, ambassadors from India and so on here as well, uh, on there, and discussing all that, and, um, and uh, you know, it was clear that they're not super fussed on free trade agreements. They like B two B, and they are happy. They're, their door is open to do business with us at that at that level. So actually, you know, in some contexts, if people can get in there and, and thrive and find their own niche, that's great. Uh, do you need all that bogged down stuff? Because sometimes it limits you, doesn't it? Unless yeah. it doesn't let you fire ahead and find these things, you actually are constrained so much. So it's an interesting dynamic of the way the world might go on some of these things. And as we saw with the uh, EU trade agreement. They throw in some real curveballs that we don't even know how they'll hurt us. Like the climate change being part of that one was was pretty horrendous. Yep. Seeing about yep. forest degradation and the new policies they put out around that—that's uh, an interesting space that no one's got any idea how they'll whack us if they choose. So I see no, um, Owen nodding. Have you got anything to add there, no, Owen? 
Oh, I just think it, it reinforces the point that was made before that, you know, we, we stand out, we're different. Um, even the terminology in some of these agreements, um, when you analyse it, their style of farming and farming arrangements are so different to ours uh, mm. that often we get, you know, we get sidelined because the language is, is not suitable for our situation. Yeah, and if, if I could put my oar in here, I, I get, uh, we've had lots of um, guests on now on this show from um, overseas Ireland and the Netherlands, Australia, but especially the European ones. Um, they're all pretty good at um, telling us their their woes, which is great, you know, because they've got same same woes as us, same issues as us. But the sad thing is they, um, they're being compensated for their uh acceptance of rules and regulations and they would still even the dutch farmers are going to be bought out with compensation not full compensation but bought out they don't get it that once you prostitute yourself to the taxpayer dollar you're yep. captured captured forever um new zealand farmers are clean as a whistle or we have been although i do see some protectionist stuff happening again in terms of plantings and fencings and and things like that but we are clean so it's not like we have to give in to um what's happening over there um and and i imagine fonterra's scope three emissions will be the biggie uh, coming down the pike for the farmers of this country to to bat off so yeah, we're, we're so different, and yet we can't get any politician in New Zealand to stand up for this. And, you know, I'm not confident the next crop will either of politicians. Um, so that's why, as you said at the introduction to the show, Owen, um, effectively you were saying the foot's going to have to be on their throat tomorrow, today. Yeah. 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 If, unless we move quickly, decisively, and I pick up Charlie's point about the disparate nature, uh, you know, and I've been – I could be accused of helping to start yet another organisation, if you will. Um, but, yeah, if we don't move quickly and decisively, know exactly what we want, what we what outcomes we want, um, we, we'll get sidelined. Look, there's health, there's education, there's welfare, there's a thousand things that this incoming government have got to focus on um, and, and we'll get left behind. Yeah. And as you know, I think it was Charlie who said, you know, the, the politicians, they, they change, but the bureaucrats, the numbers, the mushrooming of it. I was listening to Vicky Robertson's, her uh, farewell speech when she left the Ministry for Environment as a CEO. So she said she's proud of the fact that when she joined, was it six or was it an eight-year tenure? I, I could be wrong there. It's gone up from 320 staff to over 1,200, but they have retained their culture. To me, that's alarm bells. That's you've nearly quadrupled your workforce and all these do-gooders tinkering around, messing around, justifying their existence. And I I, I sound cynical, but I am. I think often more than the ministers, it's the bureaucrats behind them that wield the power. Well, it's interesting. It's not just, and she, it's not and she, just, it's not she, just the numbers. It's mm -hmm. the quality. Um, yeah. You know, under Helen Clark, we drove out all the top, echelon in a number of our government departments. We put number crunches in. We put army, um, you know, retirees in to run uh, some of our government departments. Uh, uh, it's not just numbers. It's the quality of those people. I look back to, and this is a bit of history, but, you know, guys like Malcolm Cameron, who knew agriculture inside out, full of integrity, 
um, and and you know looked after the industry, but did the right thing as a as a government servant. Um, so yeah, there's there's just a huge lot of rebuilding required, a lot of leadership, but most of all a lot of guts, and that's that's what I can't see anywhere. I can't see the leaders who will drive home that change at the pace that we need to turn the show around. Well, look, let's hope the um, it, it's happening right now at the morning tea table. I mean, we're just talking about Vicky Robinson, who was the um, Director General of MFE. She increased her staff from 320 to, to 1,200 or 1,500 or whatever it was, Jaspreet, but she's now che- CEO of the Productivity <laughs> Commission. For goodness sake, she, she's, she's got a, a pretty good cushy number. She's done it really good. She can increase uh, increase numbers and productivity goes where? Uh, don't know, but um, we've got a problem and uh, it is about the quality of the government spend. And, you know, this significant thing in this election for me, uh, aside from a, a swing to the right uh, centre, I hardly say it's the right, it's the centre, um, is that the um, main... Um, centres of New Zealand, uh, Auckland Central, Wellington Central, and uh, one of the suburbs of Wellington went to the Green Party. Those people have no respect for the earnings of any um, farmer or industry in this country. If they can vote for the economic vandalism that those people want to have put upon us, um, that says a significant chunk of those Central uh, city elites need a big wake-up call. And I don't know about you, but I, I find that the most disturbing part of Saturday night's election. I know that that might have been a reaction against uh, the Labour Party failings, but, yeah, I, I just found that a significant turning point for New Zealand. How do, well, how do, you, how do the rest of you see it? Well, Donald Trump, um, and I know he's a, a, a um, explosive figure to introduce into any discussion, but... <laughs> That phrase "draining the swamp," and I don't know what the, the the term is we should use here, but there are too many people uh, in unproductive roles working within um, taxpayer-funded bureaucracy that are really holding the country back. And you know, my my live example of that is we're 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 building um, we're increasing our capacity on our um, on our broiler farm uh, by about forty percent at the moment. And uh, the build is taking three months and, um, uh, you know, just three sheds, 147 metres by 16. And um, that's taking three months. And the to get all the consents in place, and I needed five, as it turned out, um, took me, including um, having to explain what sort of effect my um, – farming operation, which was an existing farming operation, but its expansion would have on to Terry Treaty of Waitangi. Just absolute nonsense. Um, uh, something that the John Key-led government did nothing about in nine years of power, by the way. Um, so uh, but uh, so it took over 12 months to get the consents in place. It's going to take three months, to, three months to do the build. Now, that's just complete nonsense. That is holding New Zealand back. It increased my costs um, by, by about 15% over that period because the quoted costs um, at the start of the project had gone up. So, and that I'm, I'm just using my own example because that is happening all over the country every day, right? And having an influence on the productive sector, the non productive sector, I'll call them, are having that drag down effect on the productive sector. And those 
silly people actually think they're contributing something and they just get in the way. And I don't know how we turn that tie back. It is absolutely abysmal to try and do anything at any scale in this country anymore. God help us is what I say. I, I think one of the things we should talk about and, and make a lot of is volunteerism. You know, we think that if there's a problem, you have to rule, regulate, bring in a law, whatever, uh, to succeed in getting a better outcome. But if you look, um, you know, at what's happened historically, generally, and it's a, a generalism, you know, people want to do the right thing. They want good outcomes for themselves and their families and their business. And, you know, I look back way back to 1977, for goodness sake, when, um, you know, we worked hard to bring in the Queen Elizabeth II National Trust as a way of farmers taking an initiative on their own without the government forcing them, without the community screaming at them. And, and that's been hugely successful. It's totally voluntary. And, and, and I see that as a, as a kind of a, um, a blueprint that we ought to be pushing, you know, on behalf of farming and agriculture that we can look after our own situations. Thank you very much. But to do that, we have to take the initiative. We have to build the national trust. We have to ensure that, that, you know, we gather up farmers uh, as we go along uh, and, you know, meet what the community's reasonable expectations are. So one of the things I would I'd be very keen on seeing this government, but particularly the farming leadership going forward, would be to foster the idea that, that um, you know, voluntarism works, it's, it's successful, it's proven, and it's a lot less stressful on the participants. Fantastic. Uh, oh, and I, I don't disagree, but what I noted when I was in the in the hot seat was that voluntarism uh, ideology was hated by the regulator and the government. They don't like it. And I even noticed the QE2 trust in those days being the attempt at politicising it was yep. uh, was annoying me, and I think it probably did get a bit more politicised. Katie, you might have, an, have a view on that more recently, but um, look, they did great stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you comment on that, Katie, mm. maybe. Has it changed or not? Uh, uh, no, I think it's really interesting. Like, at the moment, there's that the biodiversity document out there around biodiversity credits, a discussion one, and, and I think you can submit on that. Um, by early, I think it's the 3rd of November. So have a read and put in your thoughts, 27 questions and answer them. Um, and and it's there's a mixed view depending on where you sit. I've, I've been intrigued that, that some people, when you have a chat to them, they think, oh, well, actually things that are already doing those features that help biodiversity should be ruled out. So, for example, SNAs and things should be ruled out. It wouldn't be part of it. It's like, hang on a minute. If you want to shut down farmers from voluntarily putting things into things like that that's a great way to do it you know create a liability for them instead of saying here's a good asset we want to enhance and, and have more of this on property so here's a reward versus a you're cut out of it you don't you don't count sort of thing so it's um i see potential in that exactly but it all there's always these big systems that go around them and how to how to measure it and how to how to work it out which is the hard bit which is what you did with the trust right by the way i was about eight then so, uh, 
and, it, and I use that at times internationally and nationally talking to people when I remind them about how many generations it is since London's had to grow their own food, which is nine generations. That's part of our problem, might disconnect. But also that farmers have always been ahead of the game and actually you were Federated Farmers was the organisation then that, that set up these things that they had a view for the future and what things, what was the right thing to do and, and what was a good thing to do and what gave you some pleasure and, you know, all those other parameters that over the years has just been eroded down through to mm. you have to do this because we say and they didn't, without having had that quiet look to go, actually, you're already doing a lot of this, you guys, mm. and yeah, how can we actually thank you for it. And Charlie, you've had examples in your place, I know, of um, where you've done environmental enhancement and uh, all, of, all of a sudden you've had people wanting to come in over the top and say, um, that's theirs. Um, you know, how's that played out for you? Well, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So um, one, um, one of our dairy farms has a um, man-made lake on it uh, and it was created about 80 or 90 years ago by the then owner and it was a a uh, very keen duck shooter, so he created this 30-acre lake with the, where the water's only knee-deep um, because uh, if you want to shoot mallards, they're not diving ducks. They eat off the bottom. They have to have a shallow water. And um, anyway, so this thing was created, and um, I was absolutely gobsmacked that my council, the Manawatu District Council, decided it wanted to um, it compulsorily included it and um, wanting to turn it into a significant uh, a noted significant natural landscape, one of only um, half a dozen that they were noting in the whole district area. Uh, so uh, I got hold of them and said, don't be stupid, this is man-made. Uh, if, if, if the if the uh, dam at the end was gone, there'd be no lake. Um, they just carried on. Um, so this this process took a while. Um, during, that, um, during the process, uh, we had a very, very, uh, high rainfall event which washed the dam out and so the lake emptied out and um but the council just carried on they've made this uh much much smaller area of water now uh, a significant you know we went through the formal process and the commissioner decided um who's you know i don't know where they get their commissioners from this guy's a lawyer and Palmerston North uh, uh, decided uh, no, it's it's going to be included. So we now have this lake that used to be a lake that uh, isn't a lake anymore. Um, that has oak trees in it. It has um, toy toy growing around it. Um, it has uh, poplars growing in it and around it, uh, and it's called a significant natural landscape. That the process is complete nonsense absolute nonsense um and so uh we had had issues with the area over the years where it was kind of lumped in with our farm and Fonterra were saying oh you've got this big wetland here what are you going to do with it so what we've done um is uh we have subdivided it off into a separate title and we're going to sell it um so it's not our, our problem we don't if we don't own it it won't be our problem anymore as far as Fonterra is concerned. So it's just, it's ridiculous the stuff that you have to do uh, to just uh, uh, try and protect your rights and property, which property. seems to be something that's a, it's a very surprising yeah. idea to many people in days, including all the bureaucrats. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's actually why um, a lot of, you know, farmers all around the country have got some really interesting, cool stuff 
on their farms and they don't let on because they're frightened that it'll get um, turned into a yeah. weapon to beat them with. Yeah. You know, same here. A drain that was dug years and years and years ago and we had uh, Fish and Game come along for a, for a, um, a day with MFE to have a look at what's going on on farms. They stunned the creek and there was, you know, inangas and eels and, and kura and you name it, all everywhere, crawlies. And they're like, wow, this is a really cool waterway. You know, it really should um, probably be uh, at that stage. This is going back a long time. wasn't fenced. It is now, but it wasn't at the time. They said, oh, it should be. You have to do X, Y, and Z. And uh, I said, well, this is actually a man-made drain. I said, wow, it's become a really cool waterway. It's got a gravelly bottom now. That's amazing. But, um, yeah, it's fenced off now because we're in the Lake Borough catchment. And that was fair enough because you get – we got to know. We got to admit, we've got farmers that do the right thing, and then we've got some scallywags that let us down, and that's mm. where we, you know, they always regulate for the bottom, which bottom. is really hard. yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's not different from any industry. You know, you would have Correct. poor players in every industry, but the regulator seems to have uh, no respect for private property rights. Now we we've, we've been on for quite a while, but one thing we've not touched on, I and I worry about this is. Getting our co-ops in check. You see Fonterra, Silver Firms, all of these, ANSCO, having all sorts of international tie-ups, alliances, pledges, they are signing up to themselves. The most recent example has been this um, latest venture, Agri, uh, Agri Net Zero, or no, it's Agri Zero. So it was. It began as an uh, agriculture climate emissions reduction um, organization center in February. They renamed it. They've got hundreds of millions, $165 million. And when I look at it, it's like all these players that have joined there agreeing that 50% of New Zealand's emissions are from ag. 70% of those are methane. So it's not even a question of corralling our politicians. Our co-ops are way, way ahead. Follow the science and you'll get the money. Uh, it's, I mean, it's as simple as that, um, you know, 160 million um, employs a lot of people, creates a lot of meetings, a lot of airfares, a lot of junkets. Mm. Uh, I, I think it, it gets back to what Charlie said before. And we've got our processes involved in the political side far too far. Now you can argue, was that federated farmers leading them through the door? Uh, or, or you know, they just assumed uh, more than they should have. Uh, I, again, I think you know, Federated Farms has got to stand really firm on this and take um, some, you know, some really strong leadership. I mean, look, if Fonterra, if Fonterra want to uh, produce milk powder that's emissions free or or whatever, good on them. They just got to go to their suppliers and say, hey guys. Um, here's an incentive if you uh, reduce your methane levels. But Fonterra shouldn't then expect me as an open country shareholder to actually mm -hmm. meet their standard. Um, and uh, I think that's the thing that's uh, frustrating at the present time. I mean, if if um, Silverthorn Farms want to have a standard for their suppliers, go ahead, help yourselves. You'll answer to your shareholders. But don't ask me because I supply AFCO uh, to meet your standards. Uh, I, to me, it, it's about separating the, co the commerce from the politics. 
And I, I don't even think involved in the politics. They go to the suppliers, don't do they? There just seems to be these agreements that suddenly, instead of uh, you know helping you, they seem to gag and tie you up into knots, <laughs> and there is nothing left. And then you also have uh, to put to uh, to what uh, Charlie mentioned, you know, having to prove what the Treaty mm. of Waitangi had to do with his business. Fonterra is now, at this point, I believe the applications have just closed, asking for councillors, to f appointed councillors, to fill a diversity gap. And at the email that came in, asked for councillors who don't identify as Kiwis and are not European of descent. I, I was blown away when I saw that email, but it mm. hardly seems to have created a ripple. So, Katie, I know you've got an uh, an opinion here. Yeah, it's um the the well, there's two things really. It's well, one main thing, but you know, it's doubling up on a lot of good work that has been ongoing for a long time around these areas. And so, you know, there's the methane hub, uh, the the GRA. You know, there's the um uh the, there's multiple areas where work's going on in those spaces around the emissions. So it's like, well, now you've just created another one. To uh, what are they going to do? Collect, do literary review, and collect what's out there, or what what's actually going to happen? So it seems, um, yeah, a bit superficial to add another one and, but, and call together. And as you say, the shareholders they don't necessarily the second thing they don't get asked because it'll be deemed to be non-significant. So they don't have to case, go back. Katie, the regulatory pressure is not coming from the politicians. This is your own co-op mm. putting it on you. You, you, yeah. you know, you can't go and ask the MPs and speak to them. This is coming from your own industry bodies. Yeah, and back to that point I made earlier that actually, if, as as Owen just said, if they want to go and collect a premium for this, they 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 incentivise it up by offering you some money to do it. Farmers will do it. They always will follow the market signals if they're strong and it's going to produce profit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 100%. And Charlie, you've got no, you've got a view as well, so we need to let you chip in. Well, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about um, a guy that um, you and I knew when we were on the board of Federated Farmers. Um, I won't mention his name. Um, might have been a grain farmer from the Hawke's Bay. But anyway, he had this term that he, he coined that we – that summed things up for all of us. And uh, he was – it roughly went that um, – uh, respect the people who earn their own daily increment um, and what be very careful of the trough feeders. And so um, what he meant by that, is once people, and, and Owen said it too, um, follow the money. And we've got people uh, in our own um, representative organisations, co-ops, for example, that have um, some trough feeders in there who just, they don't have, they, they have nothing tied up in the outcome at all and they're doing all this uh stuff uh, back in my day when i was involved as a, in the dairy side of federated farmers i became aware that there was a group of people because they came to federated farmers or they were developing a code of practice for dairy farmers for employing their staff and it was going to have a minimum rate of pay and a maximum number of hours a week now this is over 20 years ago and um i got hold of uh malcolm bailey who'd become a director of frontera and said what do you reckon? He went, and he went, oh, BS, that can't be true. It was true. There was this bunch of people working down in an office somewhere in Fonterra who, who were already out um, uh, talking to the industry about this thing they were going to bring in and no one that actually should have known knew, kind of knew about it. It's, so that's the problem we have as farmers. We need to watch out for those yep. troughs supporting to represent uh. Well, well, we came across a great quote last week, uh, Jasper and I, and I'll read it out. It said, economics is the study of people engaged in trade. People act as producers and consumers. 
In voluntary trade, people act to exchange the use of their person, their body, their mind, and their efforts to produce goods and services for acceptable compensation, money, or equivalents. People employed in governments act to referee trade between people and receive coerced compensation for these non-negotiable services. Mm. And I mean, so many people have written uh, lines like that, but it's so true. That's all we as farmer representatives have ever been faced with, people taking unearned increments from your business. So legislative privilege, um, screwing your business up. Now, uh, we're a trading nation. We've been suckered into believing that um, you know we don't know enough and we need some uh, authoritarian types at the top to tell us how to trade. Um, I just suggest we should just be let to trade. But from 2001, as good as it's been for the country, having the formation of Fonterra, and I look at Southland, and it's it's been a fantastic plus for Southland's retooling of the province. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a cow shed or a house or a tractor or or more employment. It's been fantastic. But Fonterra acted, like I used to say this, and I say it today, I used to say it in 2011, Fonterra has acted like the government for all farming. And we've now got more than Fonterra acting like that. We have Silver Fern, we have other uh, co-ops acting like they are the government for all farming. So we need to wrap this anyway, but look, we'll have a final whip round. What's the uh, what's the uh, prescription um, in the days and weeks ahead? Uh, we're going to get a solid centre and centre-right government embedding down, hopefully, or bedding down and 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 delivering for business and and the regional New Zealand, or are we going to have, um, you know, the, the metropolitan areas dominating again? Oh, well, to use a rugby analogy, Will Jordan, representing agriculture, has just been past the ball on the wing. Um, there's nobody in front of him. The, the, the try line is beckoning. And if Will Jordan doesn't put his ears back and go, like heck to the line, the only person to blame will be Will Jordan. I would say to, you know, if you're a, a, a farming leader at the moment, or even just a farmer, pick up the ball and go with it. There's never been a better opportunity. Uh, you're going to have to take the initiative, you're going to have to take it early, and you're going to have to take it hard, and it's going to be an almighty struggle. Some of us go back to the 84, 85 period when we were on our benders and, and people like Peter Earlworthy and, and Ken McDonald and others did an amazing job fighting back against incredible odds. Well, the odds might be against us, but the opportunity is there. The try line beckons. All I can say is you'll never get a better chance. Wow. Take it. And, and Owen, um, I think you undersold yourself there. You were right at the forefront of the 85 stuff. So look, all power, you know, great credit to you in those eras. So don't cut yourself out of the Peter Alworthy and McDonald era. You were right there. So Katie, what's your, um, your end? Uh, yeah. Um, so I was in fourth form then. So thank you for that because I've never farmed <laughs> under a subsidy. And right. it's made us better farmers for it from what I can see. Um, mm. And seeing my friends overseas, great farmers, but, you know, they – they too talk as, as younger farmers now um, that if they could get out from under subsidies, get the old guys out of from under it, they'd do better, as hard as it was. But, uh, yeah, um, and I think, yep, I agree with your sentiment. Uh, if there's no changes made now that are significant, then agriculture is not going to be able to help this country going forward with the export dollars income that it needs. And one of the big threats that I've seen wandering around the world 
is actually localism and we need all the all the tricks we can get in our own productivity in our own good marketing not taking the premium out from under us before it even gets out of the country because we're going to have to compete at, uh, and at more and more at that level which is at an inefficient way for um uh but everyone presu- presumes and believes where they live that the most effective food they can eat is right at their door and we know that's not always true and so charlie final wrap from you um what do you reckon what's ahead um uh, i think we've got labor light uh running the country for the next three years um nothing Things probably won't get much worse. I don't think they'll get any better. Um, it's a cynical sort of view, but I'm pretty sure that'll play out like that. Uh, and as as far as I, I would urge any farmer that's listening to this, anytime you hear any bureaucrat or politician say farmers are telling me, ask them to tell you immediately what farmers told them that, name them, and if they mm. can't, so I think you're telling me porkies because it's you you hear it often. I never believe it. I think it's a it's a it's a way of reinforcing their own view by saying farmers are telling me, and you hear it a lot. Hundred well, percent. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie, and thanks to Owen, uh, Charlie, and Katie for their view post election twenty twenty three. We've got uh, we've got some um, surveillance to be doing. Um, I know um, um, one thing that will get me exercised uh, as a person that was with some of you others uh, on the methane um, topic for years is if Andrew Hoggard and Mark Cameron do not lift the current science off the table, the most recent current science about methane's effect on warming off the table and say, we've got to use this until they have that debate and bring out the people that say that, no, no, the, the physicists of the world that have written this stuff don't know much. Until we bring this to the forefront, um, we're going to be having the scrap. Now, it's to me, it's the key thing for Hoggard and um, Mark Cameron to convince David Seymour to lift off the table. And I know, Owen, you're running the Methane Science Accord. Uh, it's vital for New Zealand to get this bloody bogey off our back um, or monkey off our back. And uh, we've had it there for 25 years. So I know I'm ranting, uh, but... The prescription for New Zealand, that's number one for, from the farming perspective. Look, I've just read the blueprint for a better environment from the National Party. It says agriculture contributes 11% of GDP, 13% of employment, and 81% of goods exports and feeds around 40 million. I'd suggest it feeds, uh, if you don't want to have obesity, it probably feeds 60 or 80 million. Anyway, um, the issue is we're significant, but we're treated like um, like second-rate cousins, and uh, that's unacceptable. Uh, so, yeah, the prescription, we've had four provincial, uh, national presidents on here, including me. Um, my prescription is like yours, but we've got to stay staunch and committed and stop dignifying government processes that are negative to farming. So... Going back, I'm reiterating it. Just thank you for our guests. And we I think, Jasper, you know what? I mm-hmm. think this panel worked really well. And I think we're going to have to have you guys back um, you know, every few months because I think we, our job is to try and get the farmer story out widely. And um, you know, I hope our listeners enjoy. Yes, yeah, so. Totally. Hopefully they haven't nodded off. Yeah. <laughs> Nada. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, we're, everyone. We're and We'll cut that bit out, Charlie. <laughs> no, thank you, everyone. And it is surprising that, you know, the 
uh, emotion being reiterated despite the blues coming on, there is we all of us sense there is a rocky road ahead. So yeah. the pressure has to be on. Can't take a foot off the throttle. Thank you so There's much for joining us. A lot of pain. Yeah, nice we get to where we need to be. Thank you, Charlie. Very good. Nice to see you all. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Catch you again. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio.